Hello uh, and welcome to our Beyond Autism podcast uh, that's part of the work we've been doing this week to mark World Autism Acceptance Week and we thought this was a good opportunity for us to reflect on the work we do to support young people from early years right up to age 25, talk about some of the good practice we've seen within our services and share some of our experiences. My name's Seth, I'm the Director of Education here at Beyond Autism and I'm joined by Marta who is a specialist early years teacher, Jess, one of our occupational therapists, and Russell, who is deputy head of our post-19 services. And collectively, they have many years of experience of working with autistic young people and their families. And at Beyond Autism, it's our vision to ensure that autistic children and young adults are able to access an education which leads to a life full of choice uh, independence and opportunity and perhaps that's the best place for us all to start obviously if they are going to to lead a life that is independent that enables them to choose and take advantage of the opportunities available to them that means that you know we're working with them all the time to build the skills that are necessary for the young people and for the families to thrive and I wonder if we could start and perhaps start with the early years move up through the schools and finish with post 19 on the way that we help build those skills in uh well perhaps first of all what those skills are that we're trying to build at each stage and then how we work with the young people and families to build them shall we start with you marta and the work in early years sure um i think our service is a little bit different from the rest of the organization in terms of that in early years we have the parents with us full-time the parent partnership is very important for us in early years and we have the opportunity to have a round table where we talk about different topics that are relevant for the families and after we spoke about it we have the opportunity then to go on with the children and do the work directly with them and their and their parents um so as professionals we are very skilled in um showing the parents exactly what we mean. So we model exactly a strategy or a specific teaching of a skill and how to give the children prompts and how to fake those prompts. And then we give the parents the opportunity to have a go. And then they have a go themselves, which is, I think, it's key. We all, as as people that work in education, we all know that if you really want to learn a skill you need to have a go and you need to experience it for yourself to see how it feels and how you know how to internalize it so we give the opportunity to parents to to do that to internalize something that we have explained and something that we have shown them and then afterwards we have a little chat like a feedback uh, session where we can just talk about like how did it go how did it feel and give them some pointers on things and as well as thing like giving them a voice of like things that they are worried about, about you know, in terms of their community or in terms of um, life skills, it can be. So we look at the children and the families in a holistic way. Thank, uh, that's great, Marta. But then, of course, as they move up uh, and become more independent and they join Park House or Tram House, Jess, how does the work differ then in terms of uh, building those skills for independence? Yeah, so we will always look at the skills that they have developed in their early years settings or potentially the sort of services and the specialisms that they haven't had access to in their early years settings. So 
baselining everyone when they come into Parkhouse and Tramhouse and see where they're at with their different skills and see sort of the routines and things that they've created at home and in their previous settings so that we can either transition that into our setting, those useful things that they're used to, or try and change them and adapt them into more appropriate and functional ways of doing things. So yes, as Marta was saying, working closely with the families to understand the children and young people as best we can and also how they prefer to do things and why they might do things in a certain way. Obviously, we have lots of different cultures and backgrounds at Beyond Autism, so we celebrate those by knowing how everyone lives at home and being able to introduce that into the school environment as much as possible as well. So, yes, we like make sure that we sort of have that baseline of their skills and then work with the parents um, and themselves and give that pupil voice in what they would like to achieve and the skills that they'd like to work on. And even in Parkhouse, we start in terms of those independent and self-help skills, but also think about employability right from Parkhouse as well in terms of what the children and young people might want to go on to do in the future. And obviously that's very much continued into Tramhouse as well to try and build those foundation skills that might be useful for employability or to just live more independent lives um, as they grow older and have those skills that we can then work with our families to um, introduce at home and have that consistency along the settings that they might be in. So we'll also work with respite care, carers that go into the children and young people's homes and um, any other services that are working with them externally. So yeah, just really ensure there's that consistency and really work on the generalisation of skills because that's often an area that our children and young people can struggle with is generalising everything into that sort of wider scope than just at the table or just in the classroom or wherever they've learned that skill making sure that we then generalise it everywhere so that it supports them in everyday life and as I say as they are developing and moving on as well to other settings or into more work experience roles they have those skills and those tools to pull on and a big part of that as I previously mentioned is pupil voice and understanding what's important to them and things that they really value and they feel empowered in, I guess, because if we feel confident in a skill, we feel empowered to implement that in, in many settings. So, yeah, encouraging all of those skills, pupil voice into choosing what they want to do and also choosing what they don't want to do. So making sure that we are empowering our pupils to say no. Obviously, that's a huge um, life skill and is very important in terms of safeguarding as well. So ensuring that our pupils and our children and young people are as safe as possible when they're then going into communities and into different settings. So, yeah, I like the word that Marta used previously of holistic of, yeah, it really is holistic and thinking about how developing skills can help them in many different areas of life, not just one specific skill. So as an occupational therapist, I work really closely with the speech and language therapists and the behaviour analysts through the schools to make sure that we're working together on targets and being very integrated as a team so that we are ensuring the best outcomes for our pupils as that is the best way. It's like no good bombarding them with lots and lots of different targets at the same time when we can be working together to master and generalise them as they go forward and give them sort of bite sized chunks to to achieve, which yeah brings our pupils and us a lot of joy through the day, watching them to just develop skills that previously weren't possible. So, yeah.
it's really, really useful working consistently between all different people and all different settings. Thanks, Jess. And of course, Russell, you're supporting the oldest learners in Beyond Autism in our hubs in, in Wandsworth and Hammersmith. How are you giving them the, the skills and experience necessary to, to build independence and make the most of the opportunities that, that come their way? Yeah, I think um, the themes mentioned by Marta and Jess really carry through to our, our post-19 service. Um, it is a very holistic approach, a lot of MDT working with, with the therapies team as well. So when they join us, obviously we take into consideration what they've, they've learned to date and their assessments and things. Although we're always going to start again with our students doing a baseline assessment on the Essential for Living curriculum developed by Dr. Pat McGreevy and Troy Fry. And what that does is really gives us an idea of what skills that student has, what skills they might need to work on. Uh, as it says on the tin, it's really looking at what is absolutely imperative for that young person, given that they are aged 19 to 25 at this point, and we're looking ahead to the rest of their life and what's going to be most meaningful, most important. We want to get the pupil's voice in that, get their aspirations, their aspirations of the family, and really looking to build their ideal week and looking at with that being the case, what skills are really going to help them achieve what they want to do um, in a life after education with as much truth and control as possible. So depending on those assessments we do, we might put our learners on different pathways. We've got our engagement pathway, which is probably going to focus mostly on life skills around communication, leisure, engagement and meaningful activity um, for that young person. We've got our life skills and community pathway, which is going to be, you know, focus more on those self-help skills perhaps, and really trying to get them out and to the community to access it in a, in a safe way. So a real focus on safety skills there as well. And then we've got our vocational employment pathway, which might be those learners who've maybe already got some of those other base skills. And we're really looking to take that next step, as Jess said, into employment, voluntary work, and something that's meaningful for them and, and meets with their aspirations. And I think what's really key is that, you know, in the UK, 19 to 25, our young people have got the AHCP, but we don't know when that funding is going to stop. So every year could be their last year with us. Every year is incredibly important. So it's all about prioritising and really keeping that pupil voice at the centre of it and trying to balance that with their, their aspirations and the input of the whole team to give that real holistic approach as, as everyone else has mentioned. I would also like to add that I think it's very important as an organisation on, you know, as a whole, we have a parent voice and pupil voice throughout the whole organization, but the way we approach to this are very different because it's, um, we understand that people are in very different journeys, points in their journeys, because it's not the same supporting families in early years, which they are right at the beginning of the journey. Then um, as Russell was talking, like all the things that they need support with when they are in post 19 and when they are older again the same for the school so so it's it's very very interesting for me to see all of these different things that are in place for, for make families you know for them to have the possibility to just dip in and out to what support they need as they need it as they see fit and we are just there throughout i think that's that's really really important I completely agree with Marta. I just I think that lots of the time our families can 
have really had to push for the the input that they have with their children and the experience that they really need to help them help their child excel in life and I think yeah that's so right that we need to be that sort of constant for our parents so that they don't feel like they've had to really really fight and push all the time so that then they feel more comfortable and relaxed with services because often it's a real sticking point that trying to get through that we can support but we also want to encourage independence as much as possible I think that balance is really tricky a lot of the time so the closer we work with families and the more comfortable we can work together and feel just yeah like we're all on the same page and positive is like only ever going to be successful for our pupils so yeah that's a really good point. Yeah, I completely agree. I think in terms of um, autistic voice uh, within the organisation, I think one of our strongest points is that because we have a therapy team that works across the organisation, we're able to make sure that their voice can be heard in many different ways. And I think that's key. And we have a team that are skilled enough to enable that environment and enable those resources and those possibilities for them to communicate. Uh, I think a couple of weeks ago, we did some pupil voice activities and games with some of our children. And the way we got across um, if a child, if a, if a specific child was, um, you know, like how he was feeling about the staff team and about, you know, families and, th- and things, it was by um, using pictures and because his attention is still developing and he's very little, of course. Uh, We did it with glitter, so we covered all the pictures with glitter and he had to uncover them with a paintbrush and he loved that. And he was then using like zones of regulation to talk about his feelings related to the person that he was finding in the pictures. And this is just a tiny, tiny example of, you know, like it can look as, I don't know, if we have um, 200 children in the organisation, it can be 200 different ways different. Yeah. Russell, do you want to add something? Yeah, just as we've all mentioned, you know, we really want to put our students' voice at front and centre of everything that we do. I think one of the things that we find on occasion at Post-19 as part of those assessments we do when the students join us is that sometimes when we're trying to present choice to our students, we've got to be conscious of whether their expression and the behaviours that they're displaying and the choices that they're making when offered are actually representative of their true choices. Obviously at Beyond Dodson we're committed to behaviour analysis and a key part of that is assessing motivation. So it's really important for us at Post 19 and, and in the other services to to check that the students have the skill of, of making choices and if they don't then then teaching them that to ensure that when we're presenting them with those options that 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 is a true reflection of, of what they actually want and it, it corresponds with their motivation and, and their, their passions and desires um, and I think you know once we we build those skills it really opens the door to that that communication and with the the help of the speech and language therapists for example and um, we can really really get to know the student and their their aspirations and their wants. Yeah, I think it was you, Jess, that that mentioned it in your answer. Obviously, we serve a really diverse community and you talked about how, you know, that can lead us to personalised aspects of the children's education. But other examples from the different services about how we we provide a really inclusive education, we make the classroom feel inclusive that people can share. Yeah, definitely. We have, as you say, yeah, 
inclusive classroom so that we've got lots of different displays and we often display the children young people's work on our walls so that they can look and see I did that and that might be in a piece of work that they they did or it might be a picture of them doing an activity or completing a task so that we've got that differentiation and accessing everyone's skills and everyone's level of ability is being celebrated and displayed for their peers to see and all the adults within the school to see. So that's a really nice way of celebrating our pupils' achievements. And then we also use lots of different methods, as Russell was touching on then, to like help our pupils to express what they're feeling, what they're thinking, what their likes and what their dislikes are. So yeah, we use lots of different systems, especially in the speech and language therapy team, with like talking mats of identifying likes and dislikes. And as Marta says, that goes down as little as early years, but also as Russell has said, that we continue that completely into post-19 because it's so important that our, our pupils are feeling empowered to be able to make those choices and make those decisions and express how it is that they're feeling. So we often use zones of regulation. For some pupils, we'll use different approaches, but zones of regulation is something that we have as a whole school approach. And we have that within the classrooms. There's um, a display board with emotions and how we might be feeling and then also strategies as that's really really important that we can follow up the identification of emotions with then a strategy so okay you're feeling worried thank you so much for telling me but then okay let's do something about that we might talk about it we might go to the sensory room and take some deep breaths and we might break something down if we can identify what it is that they're feeling worried about we might break that task down so that it feels more manageable for our pupils so yeah just making those classrooms as accessible and also just presenting opportunities as I say the zones of regulation is on every class from wall and our classes do it as part of their registrations every day so our pupils all check in and all emotions are praised and they will never not be positively praised for identifying even if they are bored or sad or whatever it might be because often our pupils can result in that default of I'm green zone and I'm happy and sometimes we are doing a lot of work then around I can see that you're not happy I can see you're crying and this means that we're sad and that's fine because a lot of the time our pupils do need that empowerment because somewhere along the way they've learned that green zone is, is sort of praised and that's where everyone wants them to be when actually we want to support and celebrate every emotional state because we all feel every emotional state so all of our staff will model different emotions and different states of regulation so sometimes someone might be quite tired and lethargic that day so our staff we encourage them to be very honest about how they're feeling as well because it just as I say creates that generalization of skills and it's okay to identify how we're feeling and we can do something about that so yeah that's a huge part of our sort of classroom and how our pupils work day to day and then I think that's where I love our individualised curriculum, because if our pupils really just need to work on sort of talking through their emotions that day and they need to be working on their regulation and feeling more calm or less overstimulated, then that's fine. They can do that with their one to one and with their therapists. We can come in and support where possible. Um, and I think that's a really important part of their day that they feel and they understand that they're allowed to feel how they're feeling and that, that that's accepted and that's often a big piece of work that needs doing because it's not always been taught. Marta? I think in, in early years, you know, working with parents and teaching them how to use zones of regulation is one of our most popular 
trainings. Uh, I think it's they really, really take it on uh, very quickly and because you can see that the children, it makes sense to them and it changes. It has such a big impact as well on their relationship and their, you know, the the, the internal workings of the family because it's, it's giving them uh, such a very clear, structured and visual way of talking about emotions that we know children with autism need that visual reference and visual cues to kind of like help them make sense of of the world and and it it is just like parents take it on really really quickly like i think it's because they see uh during the sessions how quickly the children just pick up on it and it's really really one of the most exciting bits of the things that we do i think thank you i mean i was struck just before i came to interview i visited park house and I was struck, you know, on that Friday, it was set up very much like a fairground. And obviously there are special events we do and in part they promote inclusivity, but it's also about preparing the young people to engage with the community. And obviously that's a big part of, of what you do, Russell, in post-19. How do you support uh, and develop that engagement with the community for the young people? Yeah, I think it comes back to some of the things we're talking about earlier is um trying to really get an idea of that young person, their wants and aspirations and wherever possible before we uh, go and engage in certain community activities, trying to ascertain the students' views, establish their motivations around different activities and establish preferences, likes and dislikes. Because obviously the community can be quite a big and, and scary place and for young, our young people with autism, you know, in terms of sensory input, it can be quite quite overwhelming and overstimulating. So in order to, to set the students up for success, we try to, to start with those activities, which they really, really enjoy, put the supports and structures in place around that and build up from there. I think that's absolutely key to building that ideal week as well, starting with those things which are really the most meaningful to the young person and capturing that motivation in order to teach the skills around it which makes everything we do really, really intentional. And as you said, just builds towards the ideal week um, post-education and post-25. Yeah, I completely agree with Russell. Like that sort of goes back to what I was saying with making sure that our skills are generalised as much as possible because all those strategies and everything, and I've had lots of conversations with Russell and the post-19 team when working with them about making sure that we're putting in strategies as much as possible that can be utilised in the community and they're not just good for the specialist sort of equipment and resources that we have within the schools. We need to be thinking of things that are like transportable, that are as an independent task as possible for our young people so that they can be moved into the community and make sure that they've got those sorts of coping strategies I guess that can be pulled on wherever they are not just when they're at schools or within our hubs and settings so yeah that generalizability is so so important I think and that goes a lot into the community work that our pupils can do and it's lovely going out into the community I think it's so it's so nice and you can see it on our pupils faces all the sort of like new things that they might not seen before and exciting things like going on the buses and different transport and stuff that potentially they've not had access to prior to that so yeah it's a very joyful experience going out and learning all these new skills 
definitely as therapists we try and join community outings as much as possible to see where we can implement some strategies to help and our speech and language therapists do lots of work on trying to make our pupils communication whether that be verbal communication or alternative methods of communication they try and make that as accessible as possible so for example our communication books can be taken out and they have the symbols as well as the words so that say they were trying to order something in a cafe the person that's in the cafe can see that clearly what they're pointing to or if it's like a protocol device so yeah we're always working with new companies and new ways finding new ways of communicating as functional as possible obviously lots of our pupils might use like Makaton sign but making sure that they have a backup for the community so it might be like Proloquo or a communication book that then others can understand so they can also communicate when the other person that they're communicating with doesn't understand Makaton so yeah that's been a real real focus is making sure that all of our strategies are sort of generalizable. Thank you Russell something to add? Yeah, just to build on what Jess said there, I think it's absolutely key that, you know, we're going out in the community with the students and looking at how we can build on the skills they do. And that consistency, not only in terms of teaching, but wherever possible, trying to have that consistency in terms of where we're going to with the student in order to figure out what are the skills that are important for them to learn for that activity. So, for example, if they're going to the gym, trying to go to the same gym, their local gym in their local area, so they can learn how to use the lockers there, how to access the gym, which equipment is available. And we can really build on those skills and get that consistency going. And I think the other side of that as well is obviously by going to those same same places, seeing the same faces, it builds awareness in that local community and it helps us establish those relationships, which hopefully again, post 25, when we hand over to social care, if those relationships are already well established, it's really going to help that transition to their their adulthood and the rest of their life. I just wanted to add that in early years, we obviously have the opportunity to go out to the community with the families, with the parents, which is really uh, fantastic because, uh, I mean, if there is anyone around the child who's going to make an impact throughout their lives is their parents. So empowering the parents to have the skills and the strategies to go out in the community with their own children is um, fantastic. And I think it's one of the things that we enjoy and we enjoy the most. And some of our children have got specific targets to go out in the community. It can be from just um, walking safely with the parents, holding hands to, you know, going in public transport or it can be going into a shop. And in terms of the wider community, our early years service is in a building that is shared with a dentist. Um, so we have really good partnership with them. And we have had the opportunity to offer our families taster sessions in the, in the dentist. And we were able to go upstairs with them and support them while they were having like an introduction to the dentist. In some occasions, like some of the children, they had like a proper looking there and and sat down on the chairs and everything and we have offered to make resources for them in terms of like symbols and visuals that they might use to for the clients so it's yes yeah, so it's kind of like making a partnership with all the local commerce that is in the in the area and going out so they are known to us so we are known to them and yeah and getting families to have that opportunity of enjoying going out in the community with the children and and being confident in themselves. 
So, you know, we've talked a lot about about what we do, and I think it would be uh, right to finish the podcast with uh, some examples of of the impact it's had on on young people and their families. Jess, uh, in your time with us, are there any any of the pupils uh, and their stories that stand out? Yeah, so one of our pupils at Tram House, they were working on emotions, and just last year, myself as an OT and the speech and language therapist were working on them identifying the difference between a picture of someone that's smiling and is happy and um, someone who is sad and frowning or crying and they were struggling a lot to differentiate between happy and sad and now just in a year's work of working together with us as I say both therapies and the behaviour analyst and the teaching and learning practitioner implementing these things throughout the day they're now able to identify their emotions in themselves just one year later so I observed them in class in registration going through and checking in with how they're feeling that day and they did a big stretch and a yawn and they said that they were tired today and that means that they're in blue zone and then identified a completely appropriate strategy to feel less tired and more ready to engage in the day and I just yeah it it made me burst with pride because they've come on so so far from being unable to identify happy and sad to then full circle being able to identify the emotions within themselves and then how to help themselves independently to get back to a position where they can engage with their day and with the activities so yeah just a really lovely example and I'm sure there are some from early years as well Marta I've I've noticed when I've been in uh, young people preparing for haircuts and all sorts of other things are there any any that stand out to you? I think in in terms of uh, yeah, there's many. Like I think it's it's wonderful uh, working in in early years. Really, like uh, they're so young that they progress and the things that they change day to day. One that jumps out at the moment is one of our boys uh, was really struggling to make transitions, and this was causing a lot of anxiety to his mum. And she was also it was not just because she was seeing him being upset about the, you know, like transitioning to different activities in different places. It's also that she was feeling like she was not finding the right strategy for him that would work. Um, And one of the things that we tell our parents is that, you know, it's always trial and error and it's okay to reach out because, you know, we might not have the expertise or the idea that suddenly comes and that works. So it's good to have like many different people with many different skills to kind of like be able to pull from. So we got to a point where we uh, decided to pull from our therapy team and Jessica very kindly came to see us and she suggested that in order to kind of like help him regulate during these moments of transition to use some deep massage on the child. And then after we had done some a little bit of massage, then prompt the transition and it worked. <laughs> uh, we also added some visuals to kind of like to to help him, which is something that we had trialed before, but it didn't work. But now with the addition of the of the deep massage, it seemed to to work now. Um, so we were able to offer him the symbol so he would understand exactly where he was going. And then the reassurance with the physical massage that uh, it worked we spoke with mom and we said we've trialed this because we also need to trial things as professionals as well uh, so kind of like to know it, it you know we do this to kind of like to normalize to parents that you know we all are just trying to figure things out and that's okay 
and we said to her like we trial this and it seems to be working we show it to her how we were using it she had a go at it it went really well and now it's embedded in his routines and his transitions and and now actually he's needing less and less deep massage to to transition and sometimes just using the symbol works and that was thanks to the possibility of you know being able to pull from a wider team that are uh, multidisciplinary and experts at many different areas and and finally russell anything from post 19 that stands out yeah there's one of our students who who recently uh, left the service he was only with us for a year or two but joined us um, sort of post covid um came from a time where he was you know predominantly at home quite limited interest to puzzles and games and might go out once a week with a carer. So there was a real, you know, focus with him. He was age 23 when he joined us. So we had two years with him, a real focus on ex- really expanding his his horizons and his interests and other activities. So did quite a lot of work with him on obviously getting out in the community and uh, working on him, waiting for trains, for example, learning to use Google Maps. And he started to engage in a few different work experience placements. So we worked on him being able to greet people at work experience and to ask for help. And it's just been really positive to hear that since he's sort of moved on from beyond autism into social care, he's continued with some of that and is engaged now in uh, horticulture activities and quite a wide range of varied activities in, in his ideal week, which is just really wonderful to hear. And I guess it's, it's just why we do what we do. Yeah, indeed. I mean, the impact across the young people and the families is is really noticeable and the success stories are many. Of course, if you want to learn more about Beyond Autism, uh, please go to the website. We have our regular lunch and learn sessions, which you can log on to to understand more about how we approach working with our young people and and, and advice that you can uh, use at home. So all that uh, remains for me is to, to thank Russell, Marta and Jess for joining me this afternoon to talk about their experiences of working with uh, the autistic young people in our services. And thank you for joining us as well. And of course, if you want to find out more, there's much more information on the Beyond Autism website, including uh, our lunch and learn sessions where you can learn more about what we do and how we work with the young people and how you could apply it in your own home. Thank you very much all.